Hello and welcome to Adventures in Venueland, an EAMC podcast. This is your all-access pass to go backstage and behind the scenes with some of the brightest minds that cross the scope of the live entertainment industry. I'm Dave Rettelberger. And I'm Paul Hooper. We'll introduce you to some of our favorite people as we dive deep into the world of live touring shows and the venues that host them. Today's adventure takes us to Phoenix, Arizona, where we'll talk to the director of arena marketing for Footprint Center in downtown Phoenix, home of the Suns, Mercury Rattlers. Please welcome Stephen Cargill. Stephen, how are you doing? Good morning. I'm doing great. It's, it's a little hot outside, but... Uh, it's Phoenix. It's always hot though, right? This is true. I will say like, one thing that's sort of weird, like we, we've gotten so much rain this monsoon season that it's like, it's, it's unheard of. And like, even like yesterday... Like there's some flooding around the valley and it's it's unique in that it only hits like pockets of Phoenix. So like the West Valley might get absolutely destroyed and you see all over the news, like, you know, palm trees knocked over. The wind was so Jeez. strong that, you know, like trampolines are flying in the yards. But then like downtown or the East Valley might not have anything at all. That's crazy. Uh, well, hey, uh, I, I do want to actually ask you more about that and how you handle the, the heat for your events. But before we get there, let, let's talk about, you know, Footprint Center, because I believe a lot of people listening right now are asking the big question, you know, what, what the heck is Footprint? That's, that's a great question. Um, well, you know, I can tell you they're a plant-based fiber technology company. Um, they're founded in 2014. Um, they're actually headquartered here in uh, the Phoenix area. Okay. Uh, specifically in Gilbert. So um, they, cool. they actually develop and manufacture plant-based fiber solutions. The, the ultimate goal is to eliminate single-use plastics. Um, so we want to take that technology and bring it to the arena, you know, to show our fans that, you know, we can help the environment and sort of save the planet. That's, That's really very cool. cool. So, so how, do, yeah, how does that translate over to the arena side? Uh, we're, we're currently working with them. We actually had a meeting with them uh, maybe it's a couple of days ago to talk about the future and how we're going to integrate the technology in the, the building. But, I mean, ultimately, it's like transitioning some of the single-use plastics over to, you know, plant-based. You know, one thing that's like sort of boggles my mind is just how much plastic we use on a yearly basis and beyond. I mean, like, like almost 3.4 million plastic bottles and caps were collected in one day during the 2019 International Coastal Cleanup. Uh, I mean, that's, that's a lot. Um, yeah. There is uh, more than 36 billion plastic utensils are used every year in the United States. And I mean, that could wrap around the earth 139 times. So if, if you imagine that, and you imagine like plastic utensils wrapped around the earth 139 times, I mean, that's sort of like a road, right? That's like, like that's like an entire road of plastic that just wraps Insane. around the earth. That's, that is crazy. So I mean, we want to do our part and you know save the planet. I think arenas too. I think we're all aware, people that work in them, that they do have no pun intended a pretty large footprint when it does come to uh, like use. I of, see what you did there. Of, Literally, no pun intended, but I'll take it anyways. Uh, but they have a fairly large one when it comes to, you know, usage, because, you know, any events that happen in the building, there's like, you know, there's 
you know, cups, there's, like you said, forks, utensils, there's all kinds of things, lots of trash cans, you know, recycling cans, but uh, lots of people, you know, anything that it has a whole lot of people, whether it's a festival or an arena event or anything, is going to have just a lot of byproducts from that. So I, I think that that's a challenge, but it also presents like a really awesome opportunity because if you can change something on an arena level, you're making, you know, a, a somewhat sizable dent, I think, at least in like, within the city, you know, that you're in. And so, you know, as, you know, buildings like yours and other arenas start to shift, I think it can make a pretty large effect on just the overall output of plastics or, you know, usage of plastics across the country. You know, that's a pretty big, big chunk. If you took all the arenas in the U.S. and like made some sort of dramatic change over the next however many years. So I I love that you guys are trying to innovate there. And then then you touched on a good point, too. I mean, it's, you know, we're not just trying to do this just just in Phoenix. I mean, the goal is to expand that beyond Phoenix, you know, beyond Footprint Center, uh, wherever we can. So, you know, we talk, keep talking about the Footprint Center, but a lot of people may not be familiar with that name. Uh, The arena has gone by a a few other identities over the past uh, many years. Yeah. So, um, I mean, currently Footprint Center, formerly Phoenix Suns Arena in our, you know, interim period between uh, the previous naming rights, which was uh, Talking Stick Resort Arena. Before Talking Stick Resort Arena was a U.S. Airways Center. And then before that was America West Arena, which anyone who's lived in the Valley for, you know, most of their lives sort of remembers America West Arena because uh, when the Suns went to the finals and lost to the Bulls, that's what the name of the arena was. And everyone sort of remembers that painful experience. (laughs) (laughs) The name is seared into their memory. (laughs) Every arena, no matter, you know, when they change naming rights, no matter how many times, there's always one name that sticks sticks more than others. And and you always always battle that kind of uh, kind of identity. How how recently was the change to a footprint center? Um, I believe it was last last year, last November. Um, so it's it's still pretty new. You know, we're we're excited to have the partner on board. And uh, we've got a lot of storytelling to do around them. We we've been doing a bit already through you know different types of content series. Um, but you know, now we really need to bring it to life in the building. You know, for, for folks who haven't had the pleasure of going through a name change at the arena, uh, what, what's the what's the biggest challenge for you? Biggest challenge for name change. Actually, part of it's sort of like the communication. Uh, sometimes the information just sort of drops and it's just like you have to flip a switch with all the, the signage changeover. But, you know, I'd say like the signage changeover um, and then some of like the digital components as well. Um, you know, saving like social handles ahead of time before word gets out. That was a big thing for us. We had to save like multiple types of handles um, just as backups. Yeah, I can imagine that's uh, quite a bit of fun. <laughs> so, you know, uh, talk to us a little bit about the, the arena. Uh, it just celebrated, what, a 30 year anniversary. And, and obviously, as I mentioned in the intro, you got quite a few tenants there. Yeah, so this this year is actually pretty unique to us in that um, it's actually the, the sun's anniversary to when they, they went to the finals too. Um, oh, wow. And you know, sort of like celebrating that, the the Suns actually just released the one of their new jerseys, which um, is actually reminiscent to the classic jersey from when the Suns did go to the finals and played the Bulls. So fans are absolutely losing it right now over those, uh, and like fans have been asking about it for for years now. I mean, we also have the Mercury, who've you know won the NBA WNBA championship several times. You know, had a little tough break this season with uh, what was going on with Brittany Griner, but uh, sure. you know, the team kept their, their heads high and 
you know, played their hearts out for BG. Uh, we've got the, the Rattlers as well, which is a you know, indoor football league. And, um, you know, they've won some championships too. Sort of like one, I think it was like two years ago, we, we sort of had this unique situation where the Suns went to the finals and we played the Bucks and we, we lost. That same year, uh, the Mercury went to the WNBA finals and we lost. And no. the Rattlers went to their championship game and also lost. Oh. So that was the year of second place for us. There's a lot of heartbreak, but man, the excitement around the Valley between all three brands was absolutely insane. Yeah, I mean, at least you're making it to the finals on all three. I'm sure that's the silver lining. But in the moment, you're like, seriously, again? And then the third time, again. <laughs> what the hell? We're so close. I remember when uh, when the Suns, when we played the Bucks, we, we were doing watch parties at the arena. And like those those were fun on their own because when we first started those during the regular season, it was like, you know, maybe we had like a few hundred people show up. And then we scaled it all the way to full arena. And by the time, you know, we even hit like, Western Conference Finals, we had a sold-out arena for watch parties and people just coming, GA tickets awesome. just to watch on the Jumbotron. But, you know, we, were, we had a watch party when we were playing the Bucks, and when we lost, you know, I was sitting around the other marketing people from the, the team side, and I, it was like somebody killed Santa Claus. We, we yeah. sat there, and, like, we didn't talk. Like, no one really looked at each other, and everyone just sort of got up one by one and just oh. sort of left. And it was Slowly. sort of like, you know, those, like dramatic endings to a movie. Yes. Yeah. Not the happy. It's like ending. the oceans, oceans eleven, where you're just slowly walking away from the fountain. <laughs> that's that's perfect. That's yeah. absolutely perfect. Slowly meandering off one by one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Stephen, you mentioned you know we started off the podcast talking about you know the, the heat out there, and so uh, you know. The question I was, you know, thinking about, you know, was obviously, you know, so many arenas have big plazas where, where people gather. Uh, and that obviously is not uh, ideal for you guys. So am I right that you guys just had a giant renovation with a big new atrium and, and all kinds of stuff to kind of help alleviate some of that? We, we, we did have a big renovation. Um, however, we, we did have some operational changes with the renovation. So the, the previous layout fans could enter through security and then get to the pavilion inside um, where they could hang out before they scan their tickets. Uh, in the current layout, you get your tickets scanned at the same time you go through security. So lines form outside the building and they, you know, sometimes they go to the street. And we'll say like, we typically have a late arriving crowd for, for most of our shows. Oh, so do we. Sure. I, know, I know that drives me crazy. Uh, it, it does get pretty hot out there. And I mean, we, we do our best to accommodate the crowd. You know, it gets pretty cold in a lot of places too. So we, we, try, everyone, we, all, we all try to do our best with everybody arriving 10 minutes before showtime, right? Uh, I, I can't even imagine like waiting outside in somewhere like Chicago where it's just like snowing. You're a big, I know you're a big entertainment guy who, you know, and you love to travel and see shows. What do you, what do you do personally when you're going to a show? Are you uh, a person who's going to arrive after the opening act starts or are you there closer to when doors first open? Um, I, I plan out everything I do, um, sort of like to the T and if, if I can get, you know, set times and everything ahead of time, I, I sort of plan around that, but just like natural scope of going to shows, like even venues that I haven't been to before. you sort of like understand like the general flow of traffic and like how people like operate. So 
everything's planned and like even like the lines I choose are very specific to get in because in like most events people always sort of just see the first line they they see and be like this is the line to get in and and like now there's got to be other options and then if you you know look around a little bit more you'll find like maybe there's three other lines that have a hundred less people or so you know one of them I I recently went to was actually uh, innings fest Uh, I was uh, with the Foo Fighters uh, a few months ago and I mean the the line difference between like the bag line versus the no bag line was tremendous. And the, the bag line was so long that people didn't even know there was another option. That's so interesting. And I like you bring up a good point in that people that work in events often take on these this knowledge and skills because usually when it's at your venue, you're the one, you know, you and all security and guest services people are all trying to be like, there's shorter lines over here, there's short, you know, you're like trying to get people to learn that. So then it's like, when you go to other venues, you sort of know these hacks, you know, or I I like to tell people like when you, when you work at so many arena shows, like you get this skill about uh, sort of navigating through a a busy concourse that no one else has, you know, you can like cut through the crowd and find these little gaps like Frogger that, you know, no one else would be able to do because you're just used you're used to it you know you're almost like oh god i gotta get over here to meet these photographers and escort them here and then i gotta get here and so it's like you see this i mean it's almost like you don't even think about it but it's like second nature for people that work in arenas you just like cut through the concourse crowd and know all the little back hallways back tunnels but it's funny because you can totally apply a lot of that when you go to other shows just as a fan because you're like oh i know how to get through this line fast here i know the hack to not get you know if i don't bring a bag i can go through this thing i get you know it's it's pretty funny you, you can have a sub episode called Venue Hacks. Venue That's hacks. not a bad idea. That's not a bad idea. I like that. Uh, one of the things I know is that you guys are kind of neighbors with Diamondbacks, right? So uh, how does that, how does that, or do you guys collaborate on things? Do you uh, avoid each other? Are you competitors? How does that work? We're, we're friends in the neighborhood. We love the D-backs. We're, we're very friendly with them. You know, they, they are actually like, next door like like pretty much like right next door i think the difference between us is literally a parking garage that we actually share wow so there's sort of a unique setup between how like dbacks and sons operate so like with us with sons like we are sons legacy partners right so underneath sons legacy partners there's you know phoenix suns there's mercury and then there's the footprint center and then there's also um legends entertainment district now, Diamondbacks, you know, operate on their own next door, but they also use like our part-time staff. So we, we sort of share the part-time staff to work between both events. We share one of the parking garages and then the Legends Entertainment District, they actually operate the digital signage around both buildings and they sell that. Oh, so there's a little bit of like built-in collaboration there where you're able to uh, I think it's really interesting about sharing the part-time staff. Do you ever have challenges where like, if you have an event, yeah, I would imagine, right? Where you have, he's shaking his head uh, right now for those kids see, but it's like, yeah, I mean, it's like all of a sudden there's a big game and then you have a big concert and you're like, right, so we're sharing, but what does that look like when we both need them or something? We're downtown Phoenix. I mean, there's plenty of parking garages, but, you know, even like, you know, when we have an, a big concert and, you know, it's the same day as a Diamondbacks game, parking sort of becomes, uh, you know, hard to come across on those days. 
I'm sure there are days with a number of major league baseball games that you're driving into the office, you know, maybe you kind of get a later start because you know, it's a concert, you know, a show day. And all of a sudden you hit a little bit of traffic. You're like, Oh, I forgot today is a, a game day too. That, that, that happens often. And it actually even happens on the, on the team side in our building too. Like if I'm going to a show, like, like I go to a lot of the small club level shows uh, in downtown Phoenix and there'll be some days where I forget there's a game on a weekend and I'm like, oh man. And like, and then I realized that I should have taken a different way to go to the show. Uh, I totally get that. I totally get that. So, Hey, let's talk a little bit about, you know, the footprint center and kind of how you operate from a marketing side, as far as engaging with the teams, you know, with the, with the three tenants, you know, how, how do you guys all, you know, work in tandem? Yeah. Um, so I work on the arena side, but report to the team side. So by doing that, like we have access, like all the resources from the team side between Suns and Mercury, but it's almost like we still sort of operate independently on the arena side because, you know, me and my team, we work directly with the, the concert promoters and, you know, all the assets that we operate on. Sure. But I mean, we still share like our creative services team, like the email marketing team, you know, digital marketing team. So we're always working on you know, essentially like the same projects at the same time but we're also still sort of independent. And of course, like the team's doing their own thing. Now the, you know, sort of like the fun part in all this is, you know, because we're all sort of working on the same thing at the same time, uh, there's opportunities for us on the arena side to sort of uh, help out on the team side. So even like one example, um, last night, I was at a video shoot for um, a Suns jersey release. Uh, we're, we're putting together a, a video for one of the new jerseys that's dropping next month and, you know, using some of my resources from the concert side and contacts to be able to help use that on the team side. So we actually, we invited a, a local uh, professional skateboarder out for the, the video shoot. Uh, and it's, it's sort of like taking a play into, uh, you know, Phoenix as a whole, we are the Valley trying to encompass like everybody. Um, yeah, and yeah. local influencers, you know, there, there have been other times too, where like, like coming back from COVID was, was actually pretty interesting because, uh, like we didn't have concerts. Like I, I, I came back from work furlough on March 1st and we didn't really have a whole lot of concerts on sale. And those brought back, like, you know, shows are starting to like come back and they're like, Hey, we need to announce and go on sale for like summer and fall, but sons needed help on the team side. So, you know, when I got brought back, it was like, hey, can you help us book influencers for the Suns broadcast? And it's like, okay, I'll give it a shot. <laughs> um, yeah. it, it worked out. I got like, we had John Cleese on one of the broadcasts. And I mean, he's like a notorious jazz fan. And, you know, that was sort of weird, like bringing him into the building and some like people are walking up to him. They're like, hey, you're the guy from Harry Potter. And he thought that was really <laughs> funny because he had such a short bit in Harry Potter because he's headless Nick. Um, But everyone probably remembers him more so from like Monty Python. Sure. Sure. I think you're the guy from Harry Potter. (laughs) Yeah. Nearly to clarify, nearly headless Nick, Steven. (laughs) You're on point. I'm more of a Lord of the Rings guy. (laughs) Um, But like, you know, you know, aside from that, you know, it was like, how else can I help out the team? So like, you know, game prez was fairly new in the organization. And, you know, they didn't have as many local contacts. So, you know, the team is asking, like, well, Steven's the music guy. Maybe he can find some people. 
And, you know, it sort of stepped up to the plate on that one. It's like, well, if we're going to do this, you know, for playoffs, I think it should be local, right? Um, you know, it's the first time the Suns have made the playoffs in, you know, I don't even know how many years, at least a decade. So, you know, went after local bands like The Main and Gin Blossoms. Got really lucky on one of them and actually got Jimmy World to play halftime um, for, for a couple of the Suns playoff games. And I mean, that was tremendous for, you know, us as an organization, but, you know, also the Valley, I mean, the, the Valley recognized, you know, uh, that we were bringing in local artists for, for these activations. So, you know, in talking about like working with the team, you know, being able to help them out, you know, and like points like that has been tremendous for, you know, us on the arena marketing side, because then it just opens up more opportunities or like how we can collaborate. You mentioned the valley a few times. So, what 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 defines the valley? Uh, the the valley is is sort of like the the greater Phoenix metro area. It, it's actually like if you want like the like true definition of the valley, it's actually based off of the Salt River, which sort of like goes through the valley. But um, that's that's pretty much it. You've been there for for twenty years. What what keeps you around? The, the heat. The valley. No. <laughs> the, <laughs> the heat. Valley. Um, you know, I, I grew up in the country of Illinois, um, and, you know, I spent maybe like 13 years out there and like, we live like two hours away from Chicago. And, you know, when you live in the country and you have to shovel snow and you know, just like <laughs> the distance to everything is just, was so rough. You know, I sort of like this year round weather. Yeah. It's, it's, it's hot for a couple months, but uh, you know, I'm into mountain biking. I'm into like skateboarding. I, I can do those things year round here. And I'm only uh, a couple hours away from Vegas, you know, driving distance to LA. So we sort of have all the amenities, but with, you know, the slightly better cost of living, I guess. I think it's funny that people definitely tend to, I think, long for what they, what they don't know or what they don't have. And so growing up used to, you know, being used to shoveling snow, you're probably like, if I could just move to a place where I would never see another snowflake and never have to push this damn shovel one more time. And then you, you know, land in Phoenix and you're probably like, this is, this is glorious, but I'm sure there's other people that like grew up in Phoenix and they're like, I just want to go somewhere where I can't fry an egg out on my back porch. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, another thing too, is like, uh, like I, I do have an affinity for the Valley I and mean, I went to college out here. I was I did go to college at NAU in Flagstaff for a short bit, and I was like, "Oh, this is gonna be just like being back home in Illinois." And then when I got dumped on by like a blizzard in April, I was like, "Nope, I'm done." I went back down to the valley, <laughs> never to deal with snow again. And it's like sort of like a sort of like a fun like childhood memory. Like it, it was weird because I I lived in Illinois, I moved to Arizona, then I moved back to Illinois, and then I moved back to Arizona. And one of my childhood friends, I think we were like 10 or something, he actually drew a picture of me as the head coach for the Phoenix Suns. No way. He knew I was a basketball fan. So I, I still have that photo, which is it's pretty funny because now I've, I've been funny. working for the Suns. Like I think this September will be a total of five years. Never know. Maybe a future head coach, you know, <laughs> speak it into existence. Yeah. <laughs> Got to work on my basketball ops. So you know, <laughs> one of the one of the most common things you brought mentioned college when we talk to people about their adventures um, is that uh, they had a lot. You know, they had an internship. They kind of got their foot in the door with an internship in the live event industry. That was not your case. 
Talk to us about kind of how you got your, your first job in the industry. I believe you got started kind of with the Globetrotters. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a, that's a good question. So, um, I mean, I, I went to college knowing that I wanted to be in music and I wanted to be in marketing. I just didn't really know what that meant. And I didn't really know how to get there. So my first job at a college was actually for a, a school. It was Universal Technical Institute in Phoenix. And it was like, you know, working on uh, like getting loans for students. And, uh, you know, I ended up leaving there because it just really wasn't for me. It didn't really like entertain my mind. So I ended up with a seasonal group sales job for the Harlem Globetrotters. You know, I, I got my foot in the door with that. You know, I was there for maybe like six months and, you know, I was like, hey, I want to be here full time. What do I need to do? And the, the company told me like, well, keep selling the way you're doing and we'll give you a shot. So I'm like, all right, I got to sell more tickets. So you know what I did? Sold more tickets. Yes, sold more tickets. Sold more tickets. <laughs> um, and then, then I got my, uh, I got a full-time role doing group sales. And then, uh, you know, within the first year of doing that, I, I wanted more. Like, I knew I wanted to get into marketing and not so much the sales side. So then it was sort of like me trying to find the pathway to where I wanted to be, which at that point, you know, working there for a little while, you know, sort of understood the layout of the company. You know, we were working with the marketing directors who were the promoters working in, you know, all of the lovely markets for the people that are listening to this podcast right now. And, uh, you know, I, I walked into Mike Kenny's office one day and I was like, hey, Mike, you know, having fun doing the group sales thing, but I, I really want to do marketing. What do I need to do? And can, can you guess what Mike told me? Some more tickets. <laughs> Correct. So, you know what I did? I sold more tickets. Sold more tickets. <laughs> Sell enough tickets, you can get anywhere. So I, I sold more tickets. You know, Mike gave me an opportunity to, you know, sort of take on like this hybrid role where I was sort of like this like group sales manager who is selling in our like top markets, like the Chicago's and Denver's and Phoenix and, you know, Seattle's of the world. But then I also had like my other side of the schedule, which was like my promoter side. So I'd have like 15 to 20 markets doing group sales and then like 15 to 20 doing the marketing promoter side. But those would be like the Prescott Valleys of the world, um, you know, much smaller markets, you know, the Augusta, Mains. That's where you're going you're gonna to learn so much working on those small markets though, right? Oh, I, oh, it was so much fun. You know, like some of those GA shows, like you have so many more opportunities to do fun things. And it's, it's like really like building relationships with, with the local community. And, and maybe you guys can, you know, attest to this too. I don't, I don't want to say you guys are smaller markets, but like you guys feel like you have more opportunity to engage the community. Sure. Yeah. You know, just being a part of the community, you know, I think it's so important yeah. with, uh, uh, you know, everything, everything we do, it's, it's, that's a key factor of success is being an integrated part of the community as, as I'm sure you, uh, you realize there in Phoenix as well. I agree. I feel like like sometimes like it's sort of like lose sight of that a little bit in the larger markets because it's like you're so ingrained in like certain certain ways of doing things where, you know, in some of like the smaller markets, like it's it's literally a grind for some of these shows to sell tickets and get them. Of course, like most people know, you know, know about the venue and like the events that are coming up. But, you know, how can you sell the idea of the event to to fans in the market? 
Yeah. And sometimes you really don't have a choice with that in those smaller markets, you know, like, like to your point in larger markets, you might have a bigger budget. You might have other things where you're kind of like, unless you're really prioritizing ingraining yourself in the community, for the most part, you're kind of self-operational. Whereas when you're in these smaller markets, you don't have any money. You're like, this is how we can market this show is we've got to really work with a lot of local partners. we got to really stretch that dollar as far as we can. And But I think it does uh, teach you a lot because, you know, you learn how to how to build those relationships that maybe you would not be as exposed to in a larger market. Oh, agreed. You know, when uh, when I was doing globe trotters, and I, there's two markets that come to mind because they're they're sort of local. Um, you know, Prescott Valley and, and Flagstaff, um, where the the college is. Um, you know, there there wasn't a lot of money to spend on advertising, and you know, like you know, some of like the the radio market, you know, is probably oversaturated, and you know, it's not wasn't really a whole lot you could do. So you know, it was literally even me going up to both markets with a plus one with signs I printed locally in Phoenix and wearing Globetrotters jerseys and like sort of doing our own grassroots thing. <laughs> That's what great. it comes down to. So you, you I mean, it, the, such a great, at least, it, you know, uh, back in uh, a few years ago, it, it, what a great training ground the Globetrotters was for so many people in this industry and uh, a big key to uh, uh, learning how to, how to market shows. I, I imagine that was such a, a great beginning, but after about five years, you had a little change of career paths. Correct. So not many people know this, but the Harlem Globetrotters main office was actually headquartered in downtown Phoenix, actually maybe about a mile away from where the Suns Arena is. But um, yeah, so the Globetrotters actually moved from Phoenix to Atlanta, um, or I guess Peachtree Corners to be specific. And I mean, they, they offered most employees a, an opportunity to you know essentially keep their jobs, but to move to the Atlanta area. And, you know, it wasn't right for me and, and where I was uh, in my life at that time. Um, so I decided to- Too much humidity? Uh, that's one, that's one thing. Uh, there probably wasn't enough skate parks either. All right. Um, that, that may have been a factor. Um, but I, I did stay behind and, uh, you know, tested my luck to see what else is out there. And I did work at an agency in Scottsdale for a little bit. And you know the the agency life wasn't wasn't exactly for me, you know working with construction companies and you know movie theaters and sort of like all encompassing wasn't wasn't exactly what I wanted to do. I didn't really have the passion for it. So you know I, I got on the hunt again, and uh, there was a, a role open at the you know what was then Talking Stick Resort Arena. So I you know I did my best to go through the process, and uh, that's where I landed. For someone that has such a history in group sales. I think that's really unique for marketers. You know, a lot of people, we work with group salespeople or sometimes we have group salespeople even within the department, depending on how things are structured. I mean, you mentioned you were moving up in group sales, which clearly means you, you know, we're doing a really good job of it and you're getting handed these large markets. What are some of like the biggest takeaways that you took from that, that you maybe use in your marketing role that you might not have been exposed to otherwise? I think there's two points in that. And one is um, relationship building. I mean, we, we talk about it all the time uh, and honestly can't talk about it enough because the, the relationships you build, whether you're selling a group or people you meet in the industry um, means a lot. And, you know, retaining those relationships, you know, be kind to everyone, 
you know, doing the group sales front, is learning, you know, I mean, these people have to essentially keep coming back year, year over year, right? Because you have to break your group sales goal from the year previously. And, you know, there, there may have been situations where some people were, you know, thinking of it as like a one-time sale. Sure. A lot of those groups weren't coming back for certain people. And, you know, no matter, no matter how many times I say, like, you know, this is a relationship business, you know, what, what can you do to stay in front of them, you know, before uh, the event comes around next year? Can you do like a surprise and delight of any sort? You know, are, are you writing, you know, Christmas cards to people or, you know, any holiday cards in general? The, the other side of it, too, is just sort of honestly, is it picking up the phone and just making a phone call? Um, you know, and, and that's that's what I took away from doing the sales gig. And it, it translates really well into the marketing side, too. Um, rather than sending, you know, cold emails or anything, you know, we don't have contacts for everyone in, in the market, you know, every single person. And if you do, I want to know your secret. But, um, you know, if you don't have those relationships yet and, you know, you're trying to accomplish something, just pick up the phone, just call someone and just say, hey, like, like, who can I talk to? This is what I'm trying to accomplish. You know, chances are it's mutually beneficial because that's just sort of what we do in our roles. And, you know, um, you know, build those relationships from there. So, you know, you're, you, you've got the, you know, things rolling, uh, you know, there in Phoenix, uh, working at the uh, arena with the Suns, and then you decide to hop back to the Globetrotters for a little bit, right? I did. So, you know, I was at the arena for almost two years at that point. Um, you know, I was a one-man team, which, uh, you know, I'm sure a lot of people listening can understand, you know, some of the struggles doing everything. And, you know, I, I got a phone call from uh, Mike Kenny with the, the Harlem Globetrotters, and he, he asked me to come back. Um, you know, he told me I could work from home and, you know, take on larger markets in the, the marketing director role. And, uh, you know, it, it seemed like the, the right thing for me where I was in life and, you know, to sort of like regain some work-life balance. And, uh, you know, I took him up on it. And, you know, it was, it was sort of weird. Like my first day back with the, the Globetrotters, like I flew to Denver uh, to meet up with uh, Rebecca Streeter. And she, she gave me a laptop and she's like, here you go. She's like, I don't, it's like, I don't know if we really have to do a lot of training. I think you, <laughs> I think you know exactly what's going on. And I'm like, I, yeah, I think I'm good. Uh, so we, we had some lunch and caught up and, you know, just you know, any of the changes that had happened, uh, you know, while I was gone. And, uh, you know, then just sort of picked up and ran with it took on some larger roles with the Globe Chatters, uh, much more involved with the, the, their Canadian digital marketing agency, uh, you know, took on some larger roles with the, you know, domestic uh, digital marketing agency at the time. And, uh, you know, sort of brought some like new marketing tactics uh, that, that helped sell tickets. And if you, if you can guess what I did, that's, that tour with the Globe Chatters, I sold more tickets. <laughs> That's the key. And then, so how did you get then from the Globetrotters back uh, with the Suns? Yeah. So I was naturally like going back to Globetrotters and like some of the markets that I took over. I had a lot of the Southwest, uh, which included Phoenix, um, included Glendale, which is also in the Phoenix DMA and uh, like Vegas and, you know, insert other markets around that area. And uh, I was promoting um, you know, what was then Talking Stick Resort Arena and uh, our uh, booker, Sarah Schock, uh, may have put a bug in my ear uh, asking if uh, I'd be interested in coming back. But, you know, with the sort of like a nuance of 
getting getting more support where needed and hearing that conversation, you know, talking it out and understanding, you know, what what the full support system was going to look like. Um, you know, it's it it sounded great. Um, you know, it's sort of like everything that we we needed to be successful as a arena marketing department. And um, you know, I ended up taking them up on it. There seems to be this theme here, Stephen, where uh, where you you tend to be like a bit of a and I mean this in a good way, an endearing way, but like a zigzagger. Like you mentioned, you went from Illinois, right, to Arizona, to back to Illinois, to back to Arizona. Like you're going promoter side, venue side, promoter side, venue side. But I, I think that's a good thing. And in that, I think it, it shows that you're not afraid to take risks. And I think it shows that, you know, you... I think I think some people maybe get stuck in certain spots because they feel like, you know, this is this is what I've been dealt and it can't get any better here. And sometimes like your testament to that, sometimes stepping away and trying your hand at something else, it doesn't mean that you can't go back to where you once were. And very often it means that it you might be going back and it will be better than it's ever been. But I think uh, it's an interesting uh, like theme, and I, I think I, yeah, I don't know sure. if that's something that you've identified in yourself. But I think I think it's a, a good a good quality that you're willing to kind of take those swings, but also not afraid to like go back to something that you feel like you missed or that you know could be a new opportunity back where you've been. I you know thank you for the kind words. First of all, I, I really do appreciate that, and I, I I have recognized somehow the theme of twos. In, in my life, again, between Illinois, Arizona, Globetrotters with, um, you know, the arena that I'm working at now. Um, there's one I didn't mention. It's not industry related, but I did work at Sonic twice, too. Um, but that just sort of plays into the whole theme of twos. <laughs> sure. Um, that was before, you know, I got got through the rest of college and everything. But, you know, to, to your point, though, to, to me... Um, you know, whenever like, I'm in a bind, of course, like, you know, as marketers, as salespeople, we're always pushing for the things that we need to be successful, right? And, and if we're not, we should be. And, you know, if you're, if you're telling that story to someone and maybe, maybe they don't understand it, you know, maybe try explaining your story in another way. Um, you know, see if there's an alternative route and see, see what kind of results you get from that. Ultimately, like, if I get into binds, the best thing for me to do is to sort of take a step back, reevaluate my situation and, you know, understand my pitch and who's listening. That's like very that. cool. Yeah. I love that. Hey, um, one thing I want to ask about is, am I right? You're, you're a cat guy. You have a cat. Is it, is it Vivi? Uh, her, her name is Vivi. Vivi. I, I am a cat guy. She's, she's asleep right now, which is really weird because normally she would be up on my computer. Uh, and she, she likes hearing other people's voices. <laughs> You've always always been always been a cat person. Uh, I, I grew up in I grew up in the country in Illinois, so an, animals in general. I think we had uh, three dogs, uh, maybe like ten or twelve cats. Wow. There's a guinea pig. Uh, no no farm animals. The farm animals are across the street. <laughs> uh, very nice. Well, hey, uh, before we wrap things up here, uh, anything anything uh, interesting you're working on that you want to you want to hit up or plug? Um, I guess just a couple other things. Um, yeah, we're, we're actually launching a new app next month. Um, it's uh, going to include all three properties uh, underneath one roof, which is new for us. And, and it, we're really wow. excited to launch it. 
um, you know, should, you know, tie back into some of the um, tech features we have in the building. Nice. But that's, that's one big piece that we're really looking forward to. Very cool. Um, you know, I imagine that's quite an undertaking try to try to fit the needs of all the different uh, entities, right? Mm -hmm. So as we uh, wrap things up today, I want to hit you with our fast five, five quick questions. Just looking for your instant response. First up, what was your very first concert? Vans Warped Tour. How about your favorite concert? Um, two. Um, one was Manchester Orchestra and brand new Marquee Theater in Tempe, Arizona. Other was uh, Odessa in uh, at Coachella. You get a time machine. You can go back in time and see any concert in the history of man. What show are you going to? Beatles. Beatles. Very nice. What's your favorite menu item at Sonic? <laughs> oh, yeah. Give us like a Sonic hack. Is there some sort of thing that's <laughs> not on the menu? You're probably so far removed from it. You don't even know now. But well, that stuff know. stays with you forever. It, it does. Um, and unfortunately, I can't get the drink anymore that I used to drink. But some people might think it's disgusting. Um, so it would normally be like a bacon cheeseburger toaster with some tater tots. Nice. But my drink of choice is Dr. Pepper with green apple flavoring in it. Oh, I would try that. Ah, I would try that. I would try it. Uh, last question. What is your theme song? TV uh, cameras follow you around a reality show all about the life of Steven. Uh, what's the song? that plays over the opening credits? Uh, it's it's gonna be by Odessa and it's going to be uh, a moment apart. Very cool, all right. Nice. On that note, Stephen, uh, somebody wants to uh, find you on social or, or hit up, reach out to you. What's the best place to find you? Um, you can find me on, on LinkedIn. Um, you can find me, I mean, honestly, anyone can just add me on Instagram at Stephen the Leo. That's fine too. Um, and then anyone's welcome to email me if they have questions um, or comments. Very cool. Well, hey, we really appreciate your time and, and best of luck out there launching the app and with everything new uh, footprint related. Appreciate that. Thanks, guys. Hey, and a big thanks to everybody for listening to this episode of Adventures in Venue Land. Remember, you can subscribe and find more episodes wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. We'd love your five star reviews so you can help others find us. Until the next adventure, I'm Dave Rettelberger. And I'm Paul Hooper. Thanks for listening, everyone. Adventures in Venueland is a side project of the Event and Arena Marketing Conference, a nonprofit organization bringing together people in the field of live entertainment to discuss marketing, publicity, and sales trends. Find out more at eventarenamarketing.com. Audio editing and mixing by Camille Faulkner. Design and digital advertising by Megan Ebeck. Copywriting and publicity by Samantha Marker. Guest booking and brand strategies by Paul Hooper. Guest research by Dave Rettelberger. Marketing strategies by Paul Hooper, Megan Ebeck, and Samantha Marker. Thanks for joining us. Until the next adventure.